This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Well, as we are seeing play out over the last six months, every country that has seen an outbreak of COVID-19 is trying to figure out how to deal with it, both from the healthcare and from the policy perspective. What we've seen out play out in countries like the U.S. and Brazil has been much different than places like Singapore and even China. But can we learn things from the successful dealing with COVID that can be implemented into our healthcare system? Guy David is a professor of healthcare management at the Wharton School. He's also a professor of medical ethics and health policy at the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. He was part of a recent webinar on the topic for the America-Israel Friendship League, and he joins us right now to share his, share his thoughts. Guy, thank you very much for your time today. Hi, Dan. Thank you for having me. Thank you. So I guess if you can, give us an overview of the webinar and the importance that all of you uh, on that webinar, including uh, Ezekiel Emanuel, who was on it as well, really see as the importance of looking at this this area, this common area between the impact of healthcare and policy, especially in this time of COVID-19. Yeah, I, I think... I think where everybody in this particular webinar uh, came down uh, with is just talking about how complex this issue is and um, raise a lot of concerns about what is actually happening. And this is more of an approach that is very data-driven and and very science-driven as opposed to a lot of the narratives we're hearing out there. So in... in Part of your webinar, you talk about how COVID exposed the U.S. healthcare system. How so? Yeah, so, you know, I, I think it's important to recognize that there, there's really two things that are uh, at play here. One is, uh, you know, we have over 200,000 people who died from COVID, and we're approaching 7 million people who were or are still infected uh, by COVID-19. Uh, these are only people we know of. We, you know, there's there estimates that there are a lot more people who have been exposed to it. Um, you know, and, and there's, there's good reasons to be worried about the pandemic. I'd say on the other uh, hand, and at the same time, there are measures that uh, we uh, as a society put in place to slow down the pace of transmission. Um, and that, that has its own effect. So, you know, there's effects on uh, physical and, and mental health, there are effects on job loss, uh, there's, there's effects on housing and food insecurities. And when we're, you know, we're, we're looking at the data, um, we're, we're really seeing that uh, both the virus and the remedies that you know, we, we, we have put in place have disproportionately uh, hurt the weaker uh, segments of the U.S. society. Yeah. Um, much more likely for those segments to have lost their job um, in turn um, because of the way that the healthcare system is set up. Uh, losing your job means uh, losing your uh, health coverage, uh, especially when you're getting this coverage through your employer. So even mechanisms like COBRA and others are not really sufficient to deal with this issue. And then, you know, with the same, you know, segments of society that, you know, we're seeing, they're, they're, they're less likely to have the means and the space to effectively uh, social distance, uh, to effectively uh, have their kids do remote schooling for themselves to transition their job uh, into the home and, and so on and so forth. So this is, this is a real uh, problem that, uh, that, you know, that we're having. And one of the things I was uh, talking about in the webinar with some 
help of you know visuals and graphs was talking a little bit about what happened uh, since mid-March in the U.S. And what, um, what we've seen, uh, and I, I can put it in, I would say, in, in, in two main buckets, is one, massive delays uh, in care. So we're talking about cancer screening. So, for example, prostate uh, screening, mammograms, uh, looking at orthopedic procedures, looking at things like hysterectomies, uh, those went down to near zero activity uh, for over two months. And, uh, and even when we look at emergency department visits or um, more involved surgeries like heart surgery or treatment for stroke, even those went down by 30 to 50%. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying this jokingly, but it's, it's not, not a joke. Um, COVID-19, as far as I know, does not cure cancer, does not cure heart disease. And so these, you know, these conditions and leaving them undiagnosed and untreated would, would lead to devastating effects uh, in the future. I think the other thing that I was kind of pointing out to uh, is a massive increase in mental health problems. We're seeing it a lot through virtual care solutions that have kind of popped up after uh, uh, COVID. And this is a lot... Uh, around things like anxiety, depression, suicide rate. And those are on the rise, you know, there's mostly, you know, triggered by things like, you know, fear of the virus, but also fear of losing your job, you know, yeah. your livelihood, um, uh, uh, loneliness, uh, this, this uh, issue of be, be being isolated, not having social contacts with others. And, th- you know, this is really troubling and it kind of feeds into the point you were making earlier about, you know, policy issues, which is um, this virus hits uh, different, uh, I would say, age group or, or, or segments of society in a very different way. So this trade-off between being lonely and protecting yourself against the virus is, is a very meaningful thing when you're an elderly, but tends not to be, you know, uh, as, as critical when you're a child. So, you know, for example, we, we know that the likelihood of harm for children is extremely low, and also the likelihood that children will actually pass the virus on to adults is, is extremely low, uh, and yet we are, you know, we're having this blanket treatment uh, in terms of policy when it comes to those two groups. All right, so lots to unpack off of, of what you just said, and a, a few areas I'm going to touch on here. First, you mentioned about, obviously, the job loss and, and the loss of health insurance, and we saw the government take action in terms of people being evicted from their homes and apartments. They, they, they basically shut that down. And I'm wondering whether or not we should have done something similar around health insurance as well. So there's, there's things that are uh, in place and, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, the commercial insurers and uh, the public insurers are trying to do the best they can. Uh, the, the main, you know, the main problem here is that Insurance uh, involves peering and networks, and by shifting from one insurance to another even, not, not, not even losing your insurance, uh, can really um, have major impact on which providers you can see and how much uh, out-of-pocket payments you'll have in different situations. We're talking about individuals who are uh, you know, fa- facing major financial losses by losing their jobs. And now they have to kind of navigate already a very complex healthcare system. So I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. You know, this is, okay. this is going back to kind of thinking about policy and thinking about leadership in this space. And there's, there's definitely a lot more that could have been done. 
How much did telehealth impact this entire process? So we have seen a, a, a major shift to telehealth solutions. Uh, because of the stay-at-home uh, orders, uh, there was not much choice. You know, the providers wanted to keep working. The only way that they could interact with patients was using telephone and video chat. Uh, patients who could not leave their home, this was their only mean uh, of, of connecting with the systems. And care uh, reacted very quickly by covering uh, a lot of those activities and uh, pretty generously uh, uh, on the onset. So we've seen enormous amount of activity. Actually, uh, the increase in, in telehealth activity went up two orders of magnitude. So we're talking about uh, in, in the market I'm in, uh, somewhere between you know 300 visits per week went up to about 49,000 visits per, per week. So it's, um, uh, it's, it's really astronomical. But, but again, as, as, you know, as we're going back to some new normal, we're not going to see as much activity. And yeah. we're really trying to figure out um, which transitions into telehealth can be permanent because they're um, a win-win solution. Patients don't have to travel. Physicians don't have to entertain them in their office. And how you know, how much of that is actually much less effective than in-person visits. All right. So let me touch. I have about a minute left, guys. So that element also plays into the issue of hospitals in general and obviously the structure and, and the preparation that they have to have to be able to be prepared enough for something like COVID because we may see something like this down the road. So it's also a little bit of a learning experience for the hospital systems as well. Yeah, and, and I, I think we've seen this. I mean, the, the initial thought was to try and buy time for hospitals to, to be able to react effectively to this. But, you know, what, what we're seeing now is, is, is far more complex in, in the sense that I, I would say this is kind of a, as, as a closing uh, statement, if you, if you may, is, is that I think it's okay for us as a society, and this is true for the healthcare system, to be very worried about the virus. At the same time, we can be very worried about the economy. And at the same time, we can also be very worried about policy or lack of leadership. And it's okay to be worried about all those things and find a set of behaviors that can give us some sort of a balance uh, across all those challenges instead of choosing a camp and deciding that, oh, you know, I'm only going to worry about the economy, therefore the virus doesn't exist. I'm only going to worry about the virus, therefore I'm not going to worry about other things. So we have to adopt the fact that this is a really complex issue and we have to find a balance that really works for uh, for all of us in terms of the behaviors we're taking. Guy, thank you very much. Have to end it there. We're at the top of the hour. All the best. Guy David of the Wharton School in the University of Pennsylvania. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.